just want to invite uh, Sarah Molai from the evangelism team just to come on the platform. Uh, we're not going to have all the evangelists here tonight, but Sarah's going to give a quick testimony. Just to let you know also that next week we're going to have more information on a new uh, Share Your Faith evangelistic course that's happening uh, next uh, in, on the 12th of May, actually, for eight weeks at the Coronet. It's called XEE, which is part of an evangelism explosion initiative. Uh, back in the day, they used to teach on evangelism, but the course is all about people who have basically been struggling to lead people to Christ. Now, we have these evangelists on the street tonight, and they've been leading people to Christ, and it seems so easy for them, for the, but for the majority of us here today, we, we're not bringing people to church. We struggle to share our faith, and we're going to be dealing with this on the XEE Evangelism Share Your Faith course to teach you how you can connect with people at work about Christ. I mean, that can be difficult in itself. Just the fact that you need to talk to someone about Jesus, people can threaten you, say, hey, I want to talk about faith. So how do you do it in a wise way? The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. How do you connect with people on a regular basis about your faith? We're going to be training you from the 12th of May all the way to the 7th of July. It's an eight-week course. It's starting at the Coronet, 1.15 for an hour and a half. We're going to have expert trainers training you for eight weeks. And if you're a cell group leader, you can bring your whole cell group there at 1.15 for that hour and a half. So we'll have more information next week about that. But come and see me at the end of the service as well. And so... Sarah, tonight, you guys have been out on the streets. You, you keep, keep leading people to Christ on the streets. It seems every week you go out there and you're leading people to Christ. So tell us a bit about what happened in Shepherd's Bush tonight and who, which people got saved. Um, there was uh, this boy. I mean, in the end, he didn't give his life. But, you know, I got somewhere with him. He took uh, the leaflet and he said he'll come and, and, and check it out himself. Uh, he's 18 and... Um, he was very angry with God, and he said he's angry because he said uh, if there were, if uh, he grew up in a in a Christian family to start with, so he knows something about God. But then he got angry with God because he said uh, God keeps taking my friends. You know, all my friends are dead. I'm left. I'm, I'm alone now, and all of them have been killed. And the last one was stepped in the heart, in the abdomen last this just this week. And you know, I, I, if if there was a God really and truly, this shouldn't be happening. So I said, in your mind. Why do you think this is happening? And he said, I think because God doesn't care, does he? And then I said, uh, you know, d there must be a reason why, you know, this is happening. I don't think God has got anything to do with it at all. And he said, then who is it? I said, it's, 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 the, other, it's the other man. You know, if it's not God, it's, it's somebody else. So I said, you know why it's happening? It's happening because you grew up in a Christian family. You chose to come out of the, 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 the God's covering and you went your own way. And everybody who... Uh, uh, is, you know, it's, it's, it's getting tough out there. It's because they removed themselves from the umbrella, the covering of God. And I said, you know, you know why Jesus came to save us? He, he came to save us because he needed to take us from the, the Adamic sin. You know, it's, it's not because we are horrible people. We are horrible people. Yes, we are sinning. But why? Because we have inherited the sinful nature from Adam. We are sinning because we are inclined to sin because of our nature. So Jesus wouldn't have bothered to come if there wasn't a reason why. So when Jesus come and you knew about him, but you chose not to say yes to him, and then you come back and blame God, and he said, oh, you know, you know, and, and then, you know, I said, oh, I need to get the trainer. Yeah, yeah, I will come to church. So I said, you need to come to church, and you need to really, really read your Bible very seriously, because the problem is not with God, the problem is with you. Where are you? Right now, you are blaming him. You don't even know where he is. You came out of his covering. You came out of his protection, and you you think he must follow you when you go and sin. God won't follow you when you go and sin. And then the other one was a young lady. Did, he, did this man get saved? No, uh, no, no, no. 
Amen, amen. I mean, after you told him he was a sinner. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, he, 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 will, he, he will be saved. I, I know he will. And then the other one was a young lady. She's 18 as well. Both of them are 18, but, you know, not from, the, uh, they were not together. And then this young lady was with a, a man, I mean, a guy. I think they are friends anyway. So I said to them, can I ask you a question? I said, if you were to die today, where would you go? And then the man said, heaven. I said, why do you think God will take you? You know, there's 7 billion people on earth. So why would God take you? And then he said, oh, because I know Jesus is my savior and I'm born again. I said, oh, yes. What about your friend? And then the friend laughed and she said, oh, I don't know. So I said, okay. I said, oh, anyway, I'm saved. And then I said, when you say you are saved, what do you mean? And then she said, Oh, yeah, yo, I go to church, you know, and, uh, you know, I said, so if you go to church and you say you are saved, why are you not sure you'll get to heaven? And then she said, you know, because things happen, don't they? And then I said, when you say things happen, what do you mean? He said, you know, um, you know, you, you can't really say you are, you, are, you know, you live, you live right. You can't really say, you know, you, and then I said, then you don't know you are saved. Because if you really know you are saved, then you will know that you cannot do anything right in your own strength. So uh, for the mere fact that you can't answer this question, you are not sure you will go to heaven when you die, that means you are not saved. Because anybody who is saved will answer this question. Because it's not our righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ. So if you are still thinking that you can do anything good to make you go to heaven, then you are not saved. Young girl, you need to get it right with, with God right here. I said, friend, can you support me? Because your friend is not saved. You are going to heaven and the friend is going to, to hell. So I need your help. So, so, you know, she said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I said, ah, here? I said, right here. Because you are walking around with somebody who is saved. She is going to heaven. Because he gave me the answer. You can't give me the answer. You are not sure you're going to heaven because you think your life is horrible. So if you still think your life is horrible and you call yourself saved, then you are not saved, my girl. You need to be saved. So he said, oh, okay, okay. I said, what we call it is rededication. I'm taking you back to Jesus. You're going to tell him, I'm sorry, because I got it wrong. I thought I can save myself. I thought I could do it right. But I, I now realized that it's you in me who can do it right. So if anybody is sitting here and you still can't answer this question that when you die, you are sure you're going to heaven. If you are still saying, I'm not good enough. If you are still saying, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh, or maybe you are saying you are good because it's, nobody's good. Nobody. It's only Jesus in us that is making it good in us. So if you are still thinking that way, like that girl, then you need to get it right with Jesus. And how can you win? How can you win a soul when you yourself, you are not sure you are saved? I mean, that girl says she claims she's saved but you know and then she claims she's a Christian she claims she's saved but she can't answer a simple question she can't she's not even sure she's saved how can you really reach out to somebody if you yourself you're not sure you know I mean it's a simple question we need to be sure amen we need to be sure definitely thank you Sarah you see these evangelists are wild on the streets tonight that that was amazing I tell you what the devil must be shaking in his boots when she goes out on the street. And not only that, did you hear all that theology? <laughs> Adamic nature, fall of man. Oh. You've heard the gospel already this evening. How exciting, isn't it exciting? And as Christian said, in about four weeks' time, we're going to be having a, a special course tailored for everybody that couldn't do that. <laughs> 
Everybody is tailored for people that find it difficult to share their faith, don't know how to build that interrelationship, don't know how to bring someone to Christ, you know, not sure, haven't brought someone to Christ for months and months and months. In four weeks, uh, we'll be having this evangelism explosion uh, launched. It'll be at the Coronet straight after the 11 o'clock service, and we really believe it's going to help Everybody, anybody who thinks you can't bring someone to the Lord or you don't know how to or you're banging your head against a wall, this will help you, help you be able to reach out to family, friends, colleagues. So we're excited um, about that. Well, today, before we move into time, we're going to have time of ministry and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do later. But before we do that, I just wanted to bring a word to you today, and I suppose it's a little bit different than we might normally bring. Um, How many of you were aware of Margaret Thatcher's funeral last week? Did anybody see any of it, clips on the news or anything like that? Well, I want to preach tonight on the two readings that were given at that funeral. And whatever your political views, because it's not about politics, Well, not tonight, it's not. Margaret Thatcher was one of the most powerful women that's ever lived in history. She had three terms of of office. She won three elections. And so she was prime minister for a tremendous amount of time, one of the most powerful people in the land for so many times. And so she knows something about earthly power. But like I said, whether you like her politics or not, that's not what I'm asking tonight. She was also a Christian. Yep, she was brought up as a Methodist. On the first time that she was elected as prime minister, she read a scripture and a prophecy that was given to her by a prophet. And so a lot of the things that she did, whether you like them or not, a lot of them were excellent actually, a lot of the things that she did were done because she believed in God. She is a believer, no doubt in my mind from what I know, of her and behind the scenes that she is in heaven right now. And so it was interesting when she had her funeral, and of course, she had already decided what was going to take place at her funeral. She decided the reading, she decided the songs, she decided the whole thing. And so for her, it was sort of like her final statement, the things that she wanted to be remembered, and also the things that she wanted to say. And she was saying it to a lot of people. When you look at all those people that were in that service at St. Paul's, uh, all those politicians from the past and the present, the queen herself, people flown from all over the world to pay respects to one of the most powerful women that has ever lived in, in politics, and sat down. It was interesting to see what she wanted them to hear, what she wanted to portray. It really was her message to the world, and it was beamed all over the place. And so one of the things that I really noticed was the two readings that she gave. And um, I want to talk about the first reading and then come to the second reading later. And so if we're getting ready now to play this, the first reading was uh, by her granddaughter, um, who's got an American accent, lives in America. So the first reading that Margaret Thatcher wanted at her funeral service was taken from Ephesians chapter 6, 
just in case you want to, to look at it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Now, they're reading out of the old authorized version. But I want you, as you hear a granddaughter reading this, to think about all the people, all the great politicians, kings, queens, men of power, women of power, families of power and influence, media, wealth, all these people were sitting in that great St. Paul's Cathedral. And I want you to think about the words that were read and what she was trying to say, because then I'm going to come in. So if we could just see that first reading at Margaret Thatcher's funeral by her own granddaughter. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. As I saw that reading, I was amazed. Don't know if you can see the significance. You, did you see some of the faces that was in the crowd? And that was just a selection, prime ministers from the past, prime minister, present. And I think Margaret Thatcher knew what she was doing. And that's why I wanted to consider this passage because I didn't want it just to pass. It wasn't just a... I mean, let's face it, I, 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 I wouldn't choose that passage at my funeral, would you? No, he wouldn't. I'd be thinking of something that had the gospel in it, you know, maybe, you know, to get people saved or something that was comforting or something that, you know, I, I, w I wouldn't be asking for something about, you know, this spiritual warfare and the armor of God and the rest, wrestle not against flesh and blood and rulers of this darkness of the age. So I think it's important, this is what I feel led to do tonight, to pause and to reflect, because 
What she did, as she planned her funeral before she died, what she did, one of the greatest prime ministers this nation has ever had, what she did was filled with intention. Intention. And what a great illustration that was. Not just that the word of God was read to all of those people that really symbolize, not just symbolize, they actually represent the power of army, military, politics, all over the world. People that are involved in power, people that are involved ruling, people that have been involved, have been, are being involved in governing nations around the world, in dealing with true power. And right in front of them, we find this passage had been chosen to be read. Now, what is also significant is that why would someone like Margaret Thatcher, who wielded such what we call temporal power, when we use the word temporal power, it's a theological word, temporal power means earthly power. So it's the power of government, it's the power of the army, that's what it's talking about. For someone who wielded for so long such power over this nation as prime minister to choose a passage that doesn't speak so much about the power of human government but talks about spiritual powers and a passage that doesn't talk about flesh and blood wrestling and dealing with power and government at a human level, but a passage that looks behind what's going on in human power struggles and human political struggles and looks beyond that to spiritual realities. I'm sure that for many of those politicians that were there, they must have just been scratching their head. What is she talking about? I mean, there were known atheists who were politicians that were sitting in, in that place. People who don't believe in the power of the word of God. But here we have it. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's where it began. Now, it's interesting that when we get to verse 10 of Ephesians 6, it says, finally, brethren. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that Paul is coming to the end of his letter to the Ephesians. We need to see this passage on spiritual authority and on wickedness in high places and not wrestling with flesh and blood, uh, but, but spiritual forces in, in wicked places about the shield of faith, about the sword of the spirit. We need to see that Paul throughout the whole of Ephesians is building towards this point. So it's not just, oh, and by the way, I'm ending and here's the book. He's saying, and finally, having said all I've said, having written all I've written in Ephesians, to you Ephesians, we're coming to this place. Now, we haven't got time to go through the whole of Ephesians, but, but let me just give you a context to this passage. Ephesians chapter 1 to chapter 3, Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus and he's saying who they are, what they are. And how they have become to be whom they are. 
is interesting when you read Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, the amount of times that Paul uses the phrase, in Christ. You're this in Christ. You're that in Christ. Who you are in Christ. He's talking about the authority that they have as Christians. Again, there in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about Jesus, the name above every name that can be named on earth and in the heavenlies. So he speaks about the power of the authority of the name of Jesus. And he's saying to the Ephesians, right throughout his building, saying, don't you know who you are in Christ? That you are Christ's ambassador, his representative. In fact, you are the body of Christ, Paul will say. In other words, what does that mean? Well, in a very simple way tonight, the head is in heaven, Jesus, but his hands and feet are on earth. That's the church. The church is the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means that Christ exerts his authority and power on earth through us. And if the body of Christ is lined up with the head of Christ, then it's amazing what Jesus can do. I mean, you know, my body right now is moving around and it's receiving information from the head, isn't it? From the brain. And as long as my body is in line and obedient to the messages that are being sent from my brain, then my body will carry out my brain's instructions or my head's instructions. As long as the church is obedient to the word of God and to the command of Christ, Christ will be able to carry out his ministry on the earth through us. However, if the body of Christ is disobedient, or if the body of Christ is just filled with its own importance and not paying any attention to what the head is saying, what are we going to have? Well, I don't know if you've ever come across terrible situations where someone's body is no longer responding to the messages being sent by the brain. That body can be paralyzed. Or that body can, can be moving around uncontrollably and the person saying, I'm trying to stop my hands moving, but it's not paying any attention to the will of my mind. You know what I'm talking about, these types of illnesses, neurological problems. And God is calling on his church like never before, to come back into alignment with spiritual authority that comes from Christ through the fivefold ministry, the apostles and pastors, through the body, so that we can do what God wants us to do on the earth with authority. And this is what Paul is speaking to, the Ephesians. In chapter 4, he begins to speak about the nature of the Christian church, and he tells them to put on the new man. To, to live in the light of who we really are when we're born again. And the authority that Jesus has given us, we're born again. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are filled with the spirit. We have the authority of the name of Jesus. And Paul is, is, is speaking to the Ephesians about this. In chapter 5, verse 18, he speaks about being filled and living according to the Holy Spirit. And then we get these interesting passages in chapter 5, verse 22. This is leading us right up to the passage that we heard read. In chapter 5, verse 22, he begins to speak about authority. He speaks about authority in the marriage. 
in Ephesians 5, verse 22. Well, first in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, or as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, what is he doing here? Well, he's speaking about the authority of Jesus and the church, and he's paralleling it with marriage between man and woman. And he's speaking about authority and submission, isn't he? I'm not going to go into detail. That's not my plan here today. But then he moves on in chapter 6, verse 1, to speak about another set of authority structures. And this is about family, children, and parents. So we've had husband and wife, and we've said that's picture of Jesus and the church. And now in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Can you see there, we've moved from authority between man and woman in marriage. Now, authority, children to their parents. And then finally, in chapter 6, verse 5, he speaks about authority. And what I would say in a modern manner, authority in the workplace. Authority in the workplace. He's speaking about servants and slaves, but authority in the workplace. Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service, as men pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Can you see how this fits in? Very often what preachers will do, well, they'll just jump to finally my brethren. And immediately all you're thinking about is demons in high places and, and, you know, helmets of salvation and swords of the spirit and praying in the spirit. And, and you've taken it all out of context, taken it all out of context. That's why we have a five o'clock service, because in a five o'clock service, we have time to go things. We're going through James right now and see everything in a context. And so I think it's quite incredible that before we get to finally my brethren, we've been spoken about marriages, we've been spoken to about children and parents, servants and masters, and now suddenly, spiritual wickedness, spiritual demons in high places. Don't you think that's strange? Don't you think that's odd that we would have a little bit on family? And then finally my brethren, spiritual high places, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, these things are linked because the devil is always out to challenge God's authority. That's how he works. The devil is about authority and power. 
The devil is about challenging God-ordained authority structures and power, challenging them, destroying them, usurping them, causing rebellion and dominating. And this is why one of the prime targets of the enemy is families. I mean, we'll be talking about families. One of the prime targets of the devil is families. Because let me tell you something. A society is only as strong as the marriages in that society. And a nation is only as strong as the family units that are in that nation. You show me a, a society in decline, a society uh, in moral decline, spiritual decline, economic decline, and I'll show you a nation where the families and the authority structures in families are all over the place. And you just have to look at social economics of this nation to find how much money is lost through the breakdown of families. Young children don't even have an inheritance laid up for them anymore. Why? Because mum and dad has had a number of different uh, kids by a number of different people and nobody knows who's got a right to anything. And we could go on again and again. And a marriage, if, 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 if a marriage is not in harmony, that marriage cannot function. Especially in a Christian scenario, if you want to take out men and women for God, take them out in the marriage. Because um, I have seen so many times that when marriages are under attack by the enemy, I'm talking about the authority structures that have just gone haywire on both sides, then those, that couple has been neutralized neutralized for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. It's not about how to balance your family with ministry. Your family is there to minister. So a husband and wife are brought together. And what is the prime reason for a husband and wife to be brought together? To minister in the kingdom of God together. That's the prime reason. What, what your family, you're raising a family. What is the prime purpose of a family to minister the kingdom of God that's that's what your family is there it's not ministry or family it's not ministry or marriage your marriage exists to minister we're in a perverse society where people want to want to chop things up in the kingdom of God I know some people I know some people their trinity is father son and holy family Father, Son, and Holy Family. Tell you what, your family is there to serve God, to minister to people. And when you do that, that's where the blessing of God is. So it's not a surprise that before we get to spiritual wickedness in high places, that we see that the devil is attacking family, marriage, and how is he attacking them? I'm going to come to this later. He attacks them with his wiles. Did you hear her granddaughter speak about the wiles of the devil? See, the devil's onslaught, as I want to show you, is not sort of some sort of like power, like some sort of electricity or some sort of onslaught. The devil comes with lies. He's a liar from the beginning. And the devil's chief work 
is in the minds of people. That's where he works. The supreme activity of the devil, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the supreme activity of the devil is upon the minds of people. And so now, we also then find the other authority structure. Don't want to forget this. Oh no, is this too heavy for you tonight? Okay, thank you. It's a bit of insecurity there. The other place where the enemy attacks is in the authority structures that we see in the workplace. All right, I know it's master and servant, but there's so much here. And we live in a society that's lost respect for authority. When anybody mentions anything to do about authority, we immediately start thinking about abuse of authority. Well, get over the abuse of authority. What about the blessings of authority? Whenever we mention authority, it seems people are going, oh, authority, abuse, um, taking advantage of people, forcing people. What about the blessings of authority? What about the grace of authority? What about the protection of authority? What about, what about the discipleship of authority? What about authority there to stop you getting in a mess? And God places people in authority, and when you line up with those authority, God brings the blessing. I was speaking to a great woman of God in Kensington Temple today, high up in, in our leadership. I'm not going to say, say what her name is because it was work-related stuff she was sharing, but she's a great woman of God. And she's in this, and she's also a great woman in the business world. And she's in this situation where, um, I can say this, where she says, basically, she's working for a Saul. A Saul, King Saul-type character. And, uh, but she was sharing how she's been still walking in authority. And if you look at the picture of David and Saul, I mean, if David was around today, if he was one, he would have already have sort of like um, dealt Saul a death blow or resigned or taken him to tribunal for throwing spears at him. But one of the amazing things, and it is amazing, is to look at how David respected the authority of Saul. And that, that's the worst picture of authority. Saul was outrageous, wasn't he? That's not, so that's not a good picture. That's the worst picture. And yet, look at how David, because David said, I, I as much as I am able, are going to respect that authority. Because if I do, God's going to bless me. You see, he didn't think that he had to usurp authority in order to get the will of the Lord done. He knew the calling was on his life. He knew that he'd been king and God would do it. He was free to be obedient to authority even when that authority was abusing. Do you hear what I'm saying? And um, God gives authority in the workplace. And, and this lady in KD, she was telling me how God had given her wisdom, because you need wisdom. God had given her wisdom and understanding in how to respect her boss's authority without, of course, losing your Christian integrity or, you know. But God had shown her. And we were talking about how incredible the things she was learning about submission, yet also how God was bringing the blessing upon her in doing this fact. And that's her trying to be an obedient to a Saul-like figure. Most Christians today can't even be obedient to someone who's stronger than them in the Lord. 
They find it hard enough to be obedient to somebody who's a decent person, who's walking with Christ, who's seeking God's will for them and for they find it they don't because they don't trust. So today's Christian can hardly trust somebody who's godly in authority, let alone be able to walk the walk of integrity that that woman at KT is doing and and obeying an authority of a non-Christian Saul in the workplace because she takes Ephesians seriously. And she trusts in the Lord, not in her own arm. And so we have these incredible things. Paul saying to the Ephesians, who you are in Christ. Jesus, the name of Jesus, far above every name that can be named on heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. Be filled with the Spirit. Put on the new man. Walk with authority. He's able to immeasurably do more than you could possibly ever think. I pray that the the eyes of your heart, he says, would be opened that you could see the power that is available for those that believe. Not the power available for those that don't believe, but the power that's available for those that believe. I'm telling you, Ephesians is full of authority and power. You get into the flow of Ephesians and you will begin to pray prayers that gets results. You will be able to walk in difficult scenarios and stay true to authority and see God's blessing. Oh, hallelujah. And so I haven't spoken about these authority structures that are spiritual. It's spiritual authority between a man and a woman in marriage. It is a spiritual authority to honour your parents. Because if you don't, it won't go well with you. Oh, well, I only honour my parents if they're nice to me. doesn't say that. It says, honour your parents the best way you can. God will give you wisdom how to do that if they're difficult parents. God will give you wisdom. You do it if you want it to go well with you. You do it, whether you like it or not. This is what authority is, whether you like it or not. But when you follow authority and God, and it, and, and God, then anointing's going to come. Blessings. I talk as one who knows what it is to be under authority. There are many things I'm not, and many things I'd like to be, but who stands before you today is a man that has lived under authority in this ministry for 22 years. I know what it is to obey authority. And I am an example to you all. I am an example to you all. There's some other areas, maybe I'm not, but in that, in that I have boldness and confidence. So now we come to this passage that we heard read at that funeral. And the first thing it says, finally, can you see how finally he's leading up to that? He's talked about family. He's talked about marriage. He's talked about workplace. These are practical situations, aren't they? And now he's saying, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And these days we need to be strong in the Lord. Not strong in ourselves. Some people say they're strong in the Lord, but they're not. They're strong in themselves. They're asserting themselves. You see, somebody who is strong in themselves cannot be obedient to authority. Why? Because they're strong in themselves. They see themselves as an authority. They're the one who will rise up. They're the one that will battle. They're the one that will fix it. They are strong in themselves. But we must be strong in the Lord. And to be strong in the Lord is to grow in your dependency on him. 
I mean to really depend on the Lord. Not to feign dependence on the Lord, but to really depend on the Lord. I mean to go with him and to say, God, I need you. And if I don't think I need you, show me that I need you. I need to be strong, not in my strength, not not in my ability. I need to be strong in the things of God. Strong in worship. Strong in prayer. Strong in integrity. Strong in submission to the godly authorities in marriage, family, church, and work. Strong in the things of God. So that when the... uh, Trials and tribulations of life come. I won't buckle because it's not my strength. It's not by my might. It's not by my strength. But it's by his strength that I'm dealing with things. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Oh, be strong in the Lord. Come on now. Let's get in the word. Let's get in prayer. Let's speak in tongues. Let's love our neighbor. Let's let's get in the Lord. He is a strong tower. Let's get in him and let him be in us. And let's pray and seek his face and rid ourselves of earthly wrestling and fleshly trying to deal with our lives. And let's get some anointing flowing in our lives. Let's get some soft hearts. And strong tongues. And I don't mean speaking in tongues. I mean speaking. Let's get soft hearts. Soft hearts. And service is the key to the anointing. The more authority you want, the more of a servant that you must be. Strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We need some power and we need some might. We need to be strong in the Lord and we need to see power flowing, real power, power that saves souls, power that can change politics through prayer, power and might. These aren't fanciful requests, but he's saying you can, every single person here watching as well on on the internet, you can be strong in the Lord. He said, be strong. It's a command. You can say, oh no, I'm struggling. You can be strong. Oh, I'm such a weak Christian. You can be strong. Oh, nothing's happening in my life. I'm in defeat. You can be strong in the power, the power of his might, not just power, might. This is real. This is real. And this is what they were reading to all those politicians. The power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against, it's not spiritual hosts, it is spirits, wicked spirits in heavenly places. You see, Margaret Thatcher, whatever, and I'm not going to apologize for her anymore. If you don't like her, Okay, fine, that's your problem. I'm not, you know, I'm just spending my time apologizing to communists and socialists. If you don't like her, fine. But let me tell you this. For her to choose this passage was saying something. It was saying something. To see them all lined up, all down there, current and past, sitting there. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but wicked spirits. I thought, I looked at their faces. I thought, they have no idea. Maybe some of them do. I was looking at David Cameron. 
I was like, who was before? Who, who was Gordon? What's his name? Gordon Brown. And he was a pastor's son. Maybe God gave him a bit of a stir. I heard pray to God. God gave him a bit of a stir. Gordon, remember the faith of your youth. And they're sitting there, you know, and there, there are their medals. Wicked spirits, we wrestle not. And in their minds, many of them, in their minds, there's no such thing as God, let alone wicked spirits, let alone heavenly places. Their minds must have just been, what, what is going on? What does this mean? But for someone who was a prime minister for three terms, to put that scripture there, what is being said? What was she saying in that funeral to all of those people? It was a message. A message that many, majority of them, wouldn't have the first idea what that message was. But it's probably the truest thing they've ever heard in their political careers. They have no idea. And actually, I wonder whether, intentionally or unintentionally, she was bringing a message to those spiritual powers. To say, here is my body being honoured for flesh and blood, political power. Yet in my death, I am aware of what's really going on behind the scenes. And I'm not talking about behind the scenes of Whitehall. I'm not talking about behind the scenes of number 10 in the drawing room of the cabinet. We're talking about behind the scenes where these spiritual battalions of wicked spirits are operating. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers, hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Heavenly places, not high places, heavenly places. Some translations put high places, but it's heavenly places. Exactly the same word that was used in chapter 1 about the name of Jesus that is above all other names in heavenly places. That's where the battle is. It's in the spiritual realm. The battle for marriages is in the spiritual realm. You need counselling and love. But there's a spiritual dimension. There are wicked spirits attacking marriage today, have you noticed? There are wicked spirits. Spirits, devils, demons are attacking marriage in this nation and other nations. And winning in some of these God-forsaken nations. Attacking family. Attacking mom and dad and kids. And some of us... If we're honest today, we have been victims of these spiritual forces attacking generations. Only a couple of generations ago, divorce wasn't that common. Because mom and dad would stay together for the kids. Now mom and dad only care about mom and dad. It's wicked spirits. And some of us as children have suffered from the breakdown of family. And it's not just frail human beings. There are spirits behind it, my friend. Global spirits. Thank God, God is a healer and a restorer. And here it says, 
the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then it goes into the armor, and I don't really need to go too much into detail with the armor. I'm not about that, except that, armor is, that the armor is protective. And the armor is, well, it's all there. I don't want to go into it, but it's a shield. It's a protection. But where does the enemy attack most? In our minds. The battlefield is in your mind. It's in your thinking. It's in your... And I, and I really want... And before I move to the next clip, I really want you to get this because I'm just bringing awareness here today. The problem is in the mind. And most of us, and I include myself, we are under quite heavy levels of deceit. I include myself in that. Most of us in this place today watching... The Church of Britain, us, us here today, we are under very heavy levels of deceit in our mind. God spoke to me in January through a prophet and said, this year is meant to be the year of the renewal of the mind for you, Bruce. Well, in order for there to be a renewal of the mind, you have to know what bit needs to be renewed. And many Christians aren't sitting there appalled at the state of their thinking in their mind, they might be thinking, well, I'm not, oh, oh yes, am I thinking about pornography or am I thinking about anger and all these little, little things. I'm not talking about something as little as those things. But the whole mindset, the whole way we view our lives, the whole way we, 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 we view what life is all about, the whole way we live our lives. I'm speaking out there into the whole way we do church, the whole way we react to people, our value systems, what we esteem as worthy of attention and what we esteem as not, the way we think, the way we act, our view of the world, our view of God, our view of church. And God begins, and may he continue, my prayers keep doing it, Lord. He begins to show me things in the darkness of my mind, attitudes, uh, things picked up from my generation, education, worldly things, not, not terrible sins, viewpoints, things that are deep. And he begins to shine and I begin to, oh my God, the darkness of our minds. And the thing about the darkness of your minds, and Scripture speaks about the darkness of your minds. Earlier on in Ephesians, he says, don't be like them. You were in the darkness of your minds, Paul says to the Ephesians, but you've come into the light. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light. But so often our minds are still filled with darkness. The greatest judgment against Britain and Europe is the church. Britain is under judgment. Europe is under judgment. You must be blind and deaf if you can't see the judgment of God over Britain and Europe. If you can't see it, yet there's preachers out there talking about as if everything's all right, everything's fine and dandy. Just take a look at Britain and Europe. It's under the judgment of God. And the greatest judgment that's been sent to Britain and Europe is the present church, us. We are the judgment of God against this nation. We are the judgment of God against Europe. 
You and me are the judgment of God because in the darkness of our minds we have, we have become ashamed of the gospel. We have not sought God for revival. We have not spoken truth in the marketplace. And that is the judgment of God against a nation. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says to the people in Rome. Why didn't he say, I'm proud of the gospel? Because he knew what was going on. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to all that believe. And then he says, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. And you keep reading and you get a description of Europe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation. It has delivering power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the wrath of God has been poured out. And then he lists it, and it's Europe. It is Europe to a T. So when the church is in darkness, then what do you expect the world to be? But when the gospel is released, the wrath of God is turned to mercy. The way to turn judgment off a nation is to preach the gospel, share the gospel. That's the way. That's the way. So when I say the church is the greatest judgment on Europe, I mean it. I include myself in it. This is what I'm, I'm saying, God, it's me too. It's me first. The judge, a sleeping church, a church with a mind that is self-absorbed, self-absorbed, a church with a mind that is looking for leisure and pleasure and fix me up and tell me the things I want to hear and not looking at the darkness because he can't even see the darkness. A church that's filled with offense and spiritual lack of authority and rebellion and I'll do it my way, thank you very much. And all the while, millions upon millions, thousands upon thousands are going to hell every day. But God's not finished with Europe and he's not finished with us. And God wants to shine his light into our minds. He wants us to get back in the word, not the word we think it is, not the word we pretend it is, not the word we read into, but to get back into the raw word of God and get some cleansing going on in our minds, get some rebuking, rebuking and correcting. It's not just instruction. The word of God is not just instruction. How to prosper, how to do this. It's, not, it's a rebuking, correcting method of the Spirit. You don't hear much rebuking, correcting in the churches today. So I'm going to the Word and sometimes I'm, I'm getting rebuked, I'm getting corrected. I'm going, oh my God, I didn't realise the wiles of the enemy. The darkness of the enemy, trying to mould me in the image of the world of backslidden, non-revival, non-Pentecostal, non-blood-bought religion, trying to, trying to get me off the scent of revival, the scent of righteousness, falsehoods, putting us to sleep, false wicked spirits of universalism saying in the end everybody will go to heaven that is a wicked spirit spirit sent to put us to sleep 
to put us to sleep, to cause us to be engaged, to cause us to be inward looking, self-absorbed. There's so much self-absorption in the body of Christ today. So much navel gazing while we are staring at our sanctified navels, bodies and souls are burning. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And our methods are not of flesh and blood. They're spiritual. They're spiritual. Prayer works when it's mixed with faith and connected to God. I'm not talking about just saying the words. Saying the words in a loud voice. And going through the motions. I'm talking about letting God get a hold of us and we get in hold of God and some sort of spiritual transaction taking place, thy will be done. I find myself, all I can pray these days is, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven because I don't know anything else to pray because I'm getting my mind renewed. I can't pray into this situation, God. So your will be done, your kingdom come in me as it is in heaven. Don't give up on us, Holy Spirit. Don't give up on us, but illuminate. The battle is in the minds. It's in our minds, and the only weapon we have is prayer in the Spirit. That's anointed prayer, and the sword of the Spirit. I'm just trying to, I'm not trying to be rude today. I'm not trying to, to make you feel down. I'm just trying to stir us together. I'm just trying to stir us, shake us. Only the Holy Spirit can do the work. That's all I'm trying to do. But I don't know, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. We weren't born for this. We weren't born for this. We weren't born for darkness in Europe. We weren't born to preside over the decline of the church in Europe. We are not a generation born for defeat. I'm not talking about victory and cars and money and all that stuff is meaningless. We were born to be victorious, to be saviors to the nation. And prayer will change. Prayer will go ahead of us. Oh, And then I want to finally show you the second um, reading which speaks for itself. Now this particular reading, again, Margaret Thatcher, specified that the Prime Minister of the time, whoever was Prime Minister, when she died, the Prime Minister, nobody else, but the Prime Minister of the time would read um, this next passage. And, uh, well, let's, let's play it right now. It's from John chapter... 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also.
And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Never was a more true word. Can you see what she did? The gospel read by the Prime Minister. No man comes from the Father through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an incredible two passages to be read at one of the, if not the most powerful women politicians of all time. To some of the most powerful people in the, in the flesh of all times. And in it, she uncovers what's really going on. What's, what, where the power is really seated in spiritual things. And then, the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Could there be someone here? And you've heard that message read. I have no idea whether David Cameron believes that or not. It's not really the issue. Pray for him. He's our prime minister and he needs our prayers. But it's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can't have your sins forgiven by any other person but Jesus himself. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus says, if you call on me, I'll save you. There's nothing you need to do but trust Jesus. That on the cross, he carried your sins that separated you from the Father of all mankind. But if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... You will be saved tonight. Saved forever. And you will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And God will begin to shine in your mind the truth of the gospel. So with every head bowed, if there's anyone here and you say, I want this. I, want to, I don't want to go out damned. I don't want to go out barred from heaven. Well, Jesus is the door to heaven. And if you just pray with faith in your heart, you can walk through Jesus into the arms of the Father tonight. Know that your sins are forgiven. And as we heard the evangelist earlier on, when you die, as you surely will, you will go to heaven because of the blood sacrificed for you. Every head bowed. If there's anybody, you say, I'm ready. I want that. I lift your hand and I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Yeah. Anybody else, just lift your hand right where you are. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Here, right at the back. Anybody else? Anybody else upstairs the balcony? Eternal destinies are made in decisions of moments. This is your decision. Lift your hand if you want to be sure that you're going to heaven. Yeah. Anyone else? 
Hallelujah. I'm going to invite the band to come back and the, uh, if there's anyone with words from the ministry team, if you'd like to come up on the platform, if you've got a word, just come up on the platform. We're going to minister right now. Wherever the gospel is, there is power. Power to, power to prophesy. <sighs> Um, just seeing what the Lord is saying. I get, if you have got mobility problems with your arm, like the left of your arm, mobility problems, something's happened, I want you to come up to your platform straight away. I believe God's going to heal you. Something to do. You'd find this a bit strange, a bit difficult in your arms. Yeah. If that's you up there in the balcony, I will, I will, I'll invite you to come down. Have you got problem? Yeah, come up on the platform. I'm going to pray for you. Right where you are. When we preach the gospel, there's a holy atmosphere here. Can you see that? So holy, and the, the devil hates it because he doesn't like to be uncovered. The devil doesn't like it. He likes a slumbering church. I want you just to reach out. Let this anointing begin to work in your spirit. microphone please we got some words we're going to release in a minute hi what's your situation um, I broke my... come on let's have this hi I broke my shoulder in 2011 in a number of places and I haven't been able to lift it since um, they're thinking of operating but I have to wait and see well we're going to pray for you and believe God that something's going to happen What's your first name, sorry? Martin. Martin, that's my first name too. Yeah. Lord, join your faith with me. Let's mix, let's believe, let's be strong in the power of his might for Martin. Father, we pray that you'll send your gift of healing into Martin's life right now. You said that when we preach your gospel, power would come. And so in the name of Jesus, we speak to this shoulder injury. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we be healed, be set back as God intends you. Flexibility in the name of Jesus, be released into Martin's shoulder right now, Father. In the name which is above every other name, the name that formed his body, is able to heal his body by the Spirit of the living God. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, into Martin's shoulder and bring healing power right now in the name of Jesus. Just, just try it out, Martin. Just move it around a little bit. See if there's any difference. Just keep moving it. Lord, just work your work, Father, we pray, in this arm. Bring healing, Lord. That's right, just keep doing it. Lord, bring healing. We bring relief, working of healing power Lord relief the oil of the anointing the oil of the anointing Lord release it right now in the name of Jesus healing pain go flexibility return we command it together we pray with faith we mix our prayers with faith be healed Martin 
release him Lord bring healing blessing Jesus Lord release it in the name of Jesus can you notice any difference um, it's still very painful when I try to lift it up as, as high as I can lift it now pray for that pain but it's still painful isn't it could you do that before um, I think I can lift it higher yeah. A little bit, but we'll pray. Look, let's pray again. Gift of healings are different than miracles. We're going to pray and believe that we'll release a healing power. And that by next week, Martin, we're going to believe by next week you'll be able to testify. That's what we're believing, we're praying for. Lord, we release that healing anointing into Martin's arm and shoulder. Lord, we pray that they'll be released amongst from us tonight, our prayers, a working of God in Martin's shoulder and arm 24-7 let the healing power flow Lord until his arm is totally restored we believe with him Father that a testimony will come on this platform from him in the days to come in Jesus name we thank you for his life bless you Martin bless you man what's your situation? Um, for the last two years I've been having physiotherapy on and off and uh, it's like frozen shoulder and inflammation of the tendon now it's more on this one. What's your first name? Sutapa. 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 Sutapa, in the name of Jesus, we agree together as a congregation for God's healing flow to come into your life. We speak to this frozen shoulder and to the work of the enemy in your body and rebuke you, Satan. We rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We rebuke this working in your body. We break its power. Jesus, we speak Jesus into your shoulders. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, stretch forth your hand and heal right now, Lord. Release the anointing. Pain go, resistance go, liberty come, freedom and blessing in the name of Jesus. Release her now, Holy Spirit. Release her. Just begin to move your shoulders. God's on you, we can see that. Just begin to move with faith. Work it, Lord. Anointing, healing, release her. Break the power of the enemy over you. Break this thing in Jesus' name. Pardon? It's a lot lighter. It's a lot lighter. Well, we're going to pray for you down on the ministry team. We're not going to fit. We're going to pray. Who's got some words? Okay, now listen, because we're going to go into time of ministry. Listen very carefully to some of these words, because God is going to speak into your situation, and then we're going to bring the power of the gospel into that situation. Okay. The word I had this evening when we were praying was, um, perfect love casts out fear. For somebody here, um... deliverance from fear. Sometimes we all have natural fears that we have to take by faith, but God is speaking about delivering you from a spirit of fear. We all have, we're human beings; we have to deal with fear. But some of you are under such heavy fear, fear, torment. You know, some of you have like you know, I don't know, 
what, what do you call it? Fear of this, fear of that, what, what they're normally called. Um, phobias, yes. You have phobias. You're controlled by fear in an area of your life where you have phobias. Well, you can begin to come out right now. We're going to begin to break strong fear, which has a demonic link. Who's next? I sense in the spirit of someone with uh, chronic fatigue. And to spare in the chronic fatigue, you are having it all the time, being tired, and you are stressful. That this condition affects you, affects you mentally, physically, and you cannot coordinate things. So if it is, are you taking medication? It doesn't help you. So if it applies to you, come down. Let's agree with the word of God. Anybody that suffers from, you're always tired. Whether a medicine or not, it's, just, it's like a spirit of slumber on you. It's, it's not normal, it's tiredness. Or maybe you just need to be refreshed. We'll pray for that too. Leave your seats, come down, we'll begin ministering. I just believe there's someone here that needs a word of encouragement, feeling very low, depressed. And um, that's what I really think. So if you're feeling that way, I'm here to pray for you. the Lord was saying there was someone with a, like a lump in their throat and it was painful swallowing and it's been going on for a while and then also um, the Lord gave me an impression of a man who this week has lost like a small key and the Lord's got a word for that person. Did you hear that? Great. Uh, the Lord is saying that whatever need we have in the body of Christ I'm standing on the word of God, Luke 12, 24. He says, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So God is talking about how you value us. How value are and, and provision, we're going to pray for that. Okay, yeah, I have um, a word for someone who has um, infection in their left ear, an ear infection, that's the first one. The second one is I believe there are one or two people here who have problems with um, memories from the past. It's crippling them, stopping them from going forward. It's a disappointment with a relationship in one area. Um, maybe for another one, there's an opportunity that they've missed and they're feeling that God, they've missed the chance. God is a God of the second chance, and I want to pray for somebody with that. It's crippling you, stopping you from going forward. The third area is where you've had made a mistake. You feel that you've blown it, that there is no other opportunity for you, and it's stopping you from going forward. God is saying he's doing a new thing. He wants to do a new thing. So in that area, I believe God wants to minister to people in that category. And lastly, I want to minister to anybody who has had problems with recurring nightmares a recurring theme a nightmare it's a recurring thing it's bothering you it's stopping you from sleeping um, insomnia may also be part and parcel of that amen and anything else that you if you want to pray for anything that's not been mentioned we'll minister to you but what we're going to do together is we're going to stand together even if you don't need ministry why don't you bring that word to the Lord right now and say, Lord, renew my mind. Take me on a journey into the light. Bring yourself to the light. 
and God will do a great thing. Let's all stand together. If you need to leave, you're welcome to leave as well, but why not tarry for a while and see what the Lord will do?